Well, good morning. In just a moment, we're going to look to God's Word, but before we do so, would you once more join me in a word of prayer as we begin, please? Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to worship together this morning as brothers and sisters in Christ, in the name of Christ. And Father, we thank you for your Word that we can look to. Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your Son, Jesus Christ, and you have revealed yourself to us through your Word that points us to Christ. So, Father, we thank you that we can look to your word this morning. We acknowledge that your word is living and active, and therefore it is able to discern the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So we ask, Lord, that through your word this morning, you would examine our hearts, that you would convict of sin, that you would instruct and teach and correct. And and Lord, we know that your word is always effective to accomplish all that you send it out to accomplish. So we ask, Lord, that you would uh, work through your word this morning in us. Help us, Lord, to be open and receptive to whatever you have to say to us this morning through your Holy Spirit. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So as I think you already know, my name is Bruce Baxley. Um, I am currently the associate pastor at Grace Church. We've been there just a little over three years now. Uh, And as you've already heard, I have a number of family connections here to Faith Alliance, and so it's quite a privilege to preach here due to those connections, and also just my history here. I've attended Grace, I mean, Faith Alliance many times over the years, and so it's uh, an exciting opportunity for me to preach here this morning. And as I was thinking about what I would preach on, I was a little overwhelmed at first because I normally just preach, you know, right through a book of the Bible. So to choose a topic from all of Scripture that's just a one-time sermon can be a little bit overwhelming. But then I thought, you know, who, who knows when or if I'll have another opportunity to preach from this pulpit. And so what I asked myself is, what is the one message that I would want to convey this morning to this congregation of believers? And I thought, what better topic than the glory of Christ? So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The glory of Christ, the gloriousness of Christ. And what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about the glory of Christ and how it relates to our salvation and our sanctification, and our evangelism, and our suffering. Not in that exact order, so I'll, if you're writing those down, I'll tell you as we get there. But that's what I want to do this morning. And I want to start with the glory of Christ and salvation. And I want to begin by reading from the book of 2 Corinthians. So if you would, please turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 4. And this will be the text that guides us this morning and gets us started. We're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the Apostle Paul writes, beginning in verse 3, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So in this passage that we just read, 
Paul calls it the gospel of the glory of Christ. Keep in mind now, gospel means good news. And Paul doesn't just call it the good news of Christ, although it is that. But Paul calls it the good news of the glory of Christ. And Paul says that before a person comes to faith in Christ, there is a veil over his eyes. Not his physical eyes, but his spiritual eyes, the eyes of his heart. And he has been blinded from seeing the truth of the gospel, and this veil prevents him from seeing the gloriousness of Christ. So previously, whenever he looked at Christ or considered Christ, he did not see him as he truly is. This person did not recognize Christ as the glorious Son of God. Maybe he or she saw him as just a myth. Maybe he or she believed Jesus to be a real man, but just a man, and not the Son of God. Perhaps he or she believed that Jesus was a religious leader but that was killed, but certainly not raised from the dead. Maybe this person simply saw Jesus as a great teacher, or maybe even a prophet, but this person did not recognize Jesus as the glorious Son of God who is worthy of worship. This person did not recognize Him as the Lamb of God sent to take away the sins of the word. I mean, the world. And the reason is because this person had a veil over their eyes and could not see Christ as He truly is. But Paul says what happens in salvation is that through the proclamation of the gospel message and the working of the Holy Spirit, through that proclamation, that God opens our eyes to see the glory of Christ. God opens our previously blind hearts to recognize the glory of Christ. The glory as the only Son from the Father, John says. So, so prior to God's work in our heart, we do not recognize Him as glorious. We're blinded to this truth by the God of this age, Satan, and we are in darkness. But Paul says God shines in our hearts to give us light so that we see and that we recognize Christ for who He truly is in His glory. And then we are forever changed by this encounter with Christ. God opens our eyes and then we recognize Christ as supremely glorious. Remember when Jesus asked Peter, Who do you say that I am? And Peter responded rightly, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. God had opened Peter's eyes to see who Christ really is. And for us and for anyone else, salvation always involve, involves God opening our eyes to see Jesus as He is in His glory. And so what this means is that perceiving the glory of Christ means that we recognize Him as supremely glorious, as worthy of worship, as supremely valuable and worthy of our love. And so Scripture talks about salvation as viewing Jesus as the greatest treasure, as being infinitely valuable. So, for example, Jesus gave the parable of the treasure in the field. And the man who finds it, and he goes and he sells everything he has to purchase this field and to possess this treasure. Jesus is that treasure in the field. Jesus is that pearl of great value. And the parable says that this man, in his joy, in his joy he sells everything he has to purchase the field. The man understands the value of what he has found. 
and it's worth everything to him. He understands the value of what he has found compared to what he is giving up. Or consider Mary, Martha's sister, when she pours out the bottle of perfume on Jesus' feet to anoint him for his death. You know, in the little footnotes in the Bible, I don't know if yours has this, but mine has a little footnote saying that the value of the perfume that she poured out on him was worth about 300 days wages. That's a lot of money. And Judas gets on to her, but Jesus said she did the right thing. Why did she do it? Well, she understands the infinite worth of Christ, that he was of more value than her perfume or her riches or anything. Or consider Moses. Moses had the privilege of growing up in the royal household of Pharaoh. He was living a life of privilege compared to his brothers who were in slavery. But listen to what the author of Hebrews says about Moses. He says, he, that is Moses, considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And scripture tells us that the reward of eternal life is dwelling in the presence of God. It is unhindered fellowship with God in his presence. In Jesus' high priestly prayer, he said, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And then we see it fulfilled in Revelation 21, when we see the new Jerusalem and the new creation, and we read John in his vision says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. So the reward is knowing and being with Christ. He is the reward. He is the treasure of the gospel. So believing in Jesus means a recognition that he is infinitely glorious and worthy of our worship. And it means a recognition that he is infinitely valuable and worthy of our love. That we would treasure him above all else with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. The demons know who he is. They know he's glorious, but they do not treasure him. They do not love Christ. They do not value him above all else. And so this seeing the gloriousness of Christ and this treasuring him above all else is by necessity also a turning away from idolatry. Because idolatry is elevating something else above God. It is loving something else, worshiping something else, valuing something else more than Christ. So when Paul wrote to the Thessalonians about their salvation, he described it as them turning to God from idols to serve the living and true God. But of course, the idols at that time were false gods of that culture, you know, probably Greek gods that they would have worshipped. They were often portrayed as little carved images and statues. And so today in our culture, we probably don't relate to that. But the danger is that we are susceptible to idolatry because we become captivated by the creation and we fail to be captivated by the creator who made all of these things. We develop a love for the world and for the things of this world. We love the gifts and we fail to acknowledge the giver of the gifts. We admire the art and we fail to admire the artist. We ignore him. Or listen to one author who said it this way. To be a Christian means we look through the world. Idolatry looks at the world in amazement. But worship, true worship, looks through it in amazement to its source, to the one who is infinitely more amazing. 
So the things of this world, they are lesser glories that are point, to point us to the greater glory of Christ. We should hold on to the things of this world with a loose grip, able to let go any time. But we tend to hold on tightly. We're like that rich young man who Jesus told him to sell all he has and come and follow Christ, who is of infinite value. And the young man walks away sad because he was unwilling to part with the riches and the comforts and the pleasures of the world. John Piper has said that God gives us things so that we can live in such a way that it is evident to the world that those things are not our treasure, but Christ is, which is a good guideline to follow. Piper says, so for example, God gives us our money so that we can live in such a way that we demonstrate that money is not our treasure, but Christ is our treasure. And God gives us our house and our car and our clothing and our job so that we can live in such a way that we demonstrate to the world that our house and our clothing and our job is not our treasure. Those things are not our treasure. Christ is our treasure. And that's to be the case with everything we have. So that if a person takes your tunic, Jesus said, offer them your cloak as well. Paul in his letter to the Philippians said, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So considering all this world has to offer, Paul said it is of no value in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Christ is infinitely more valuable and knowing him is all that matters. So let me ask you this morning, is Christ your treasure? Do you love him and value him above all else? Or are you still holding tightly onto the things of the world? Are you holding fast to the one who is infinite and infinitely valuable and worthy of all worship? Or are you holding on to things that are temporary and that are passing away? Second, I want to talk... I want to consider this morning how the glory of Christ and the infinite worth of knowing Him relates to disciple-making. Because when it comes to carrying out the Great Commission, our task of disciple-making, Paul says here in verse 4 that the gospel is the good news of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul is saying what the author of Hebrews is saying when the author of Hebrews begins by saying long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And so then here in verse 6 of chapter 4 that we read this morning in Corinthians, Paul says that what God is revealing to our hearts is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So what's happening here is, and in the proclamation of the gospel, God has revealed himself to us through Jesus Christ. Christ is the ultimate means by which God revealed his glory to us. So to see Christ is to see God. And the author of Hebrews says, if you want to see the glory of God, you look at Christ because Christ is the radiance of His glory. So if you want to know God, you must know the Son whom He has sent. 
That is the foundation of the gospel that everything builds upon. So in, in verse 7 here, Paul says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. What is the treasure? I believe that the treasure is the message of the gospel that when Paul says we have this treasure, the treasure is the message of the truth about the glory of God in the face of Christ that he had just said here in the previous verse. It's a message about the glory of Christ. And God works through the proclamation of this message to open the eyes of unbelievers to see the glory of Christ and to receive him. So when we look at evangelism and disciple making and missions, I believe, once again, I'm going back to John Piper again, but I think he summarized it best when he made a statement about love that I don't think he was even talking about or relating to disciple making, but it does relate because this is what he says. He said, love is doing whatever you need to do to help people see and savor the glory of God in Christ forever and ever. I'm going to repeat that. Love is doing whatever you need to do to help people see and savor the glory of God in Christ forever and ever. So truly loving someone in that definition means doing whatever you have to do to help them see the glory of Christ and treasure Him above all else. That should be our goal for our spouse. That should be our goal for our children. That should be our goal for everyone. So truly loving someone is not about giving someone whatever they want in order to make them happy. Truly loving someone is not trying to make someone feel good about themselves. Truly loving someone is helping them to see that Jesus is supremely valuable and helping them to treasure Him and to find satisfaction and fulfillment in Him. And so this, mean, this might mean having difficult conversations. This might mean making difficult choices. This might mean we have to suffer to see this process through. This might mean sacrificing what we want for the sake of others. This might mean putting aside certain personal preferences and freedoms for their sake. Whatever it takes to help them see and savor the glory of Christ. I mean, this is what Paul did. He said in 1 Corinthians, he said, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. And then a little later he said, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul said he was willing to put aside his freedoms that he had for the sake of helping others see and treasure Christ. He was willing to do whatever it takes. And then he gives us a list in 2 Corinthians of some of those things. In fact, multiple lists. He says it involves things that he endured like multiple beatings, stonings, imprisonments, riots, stress, hunger, sleepless nights, three shipwrecks, a, dr a day adrift at sea, and on and on. There's more in the list. He was willing to endure these things for the sake of the gospel. He was willing to do whatever it takes, even suffer, so that others might know and cherish Christ. I think this captures the essence of disciple making. And as we just touched on the idea of suffering, that's my third one. I want to discuss how the glory of Christ relates to suffering. 
when we suffer for the glory of Christ, suffering gives us an opportunity to show the world that we treasure Christ above all else when we cling to him even in the midst of persecution and affliction and trial and suffering. As believers were called to suffer for the sake of the gospel, Paul said this many times in Philippians 1, he said, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. But no one, of course, wants to endure suffering because it's not pleasant. But there is something beautiful about a believer suffering the loss of material possessions and declaring that Christ is worth more than the things of this world. There's something amazing about a believer in the middle of suffering saying, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For a person like Job to endure trials like he went through and still proclaim the goodness of God, for Job to suffer the loss of his loved ones and his wealth, and in the middle of his grief proclaim, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. For him to still proclaim his faith in God and still worship God even when his very own wife was telling him to curse God and die, what an incredible and astonishing thing to see. Last year, our family, uh, we lost a friend um, to a tragic accident. He was, there was, was a family we were friends with, and they lost uh, the, the husband and father, was killed in an accident. And in the midst of their grief, that family was able to proclaim the goodness of God and said that whatever he ordains is right. And it was such a powerful testimony to witness that they, de they demonstrated. And so when believers hold fast to Christ in the midst of suffering. They're showing that Christ is more valuable to them than anything else, even life itself. They're demonstrating that Christ is supremely valuable and worthy of any suffering they might endure. And I remember, you know, and well, remember a little while ago when I mentioned Mary anointing Jesus with the expensive perfume. I think it's significant, perhaps, that before this, there was the scene that involved Jesus' healing of her brother Lazarus. That when Jesus got the report that Lazarus was sick and on the verge of death, you remember Jesus intentionally delayed for two days? And it said, and he said, Lazarus' illness is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. He said that and he delayed. And then he he allows Mary and Martha to endure this trial so that they would witness the glory of Christ. And so then the next thing you know, Mary then is freely and eagerly willing to give up her expensive perfume for this valuable earthly possession to illustrate the infinite value of Christ. I think that she, she learned that through that, that trial with Lazarus and she saw the glory of Christ. So is it possible that God is allowing you to endure trials so that through them you might find Christ more glorious? Are you clinging to Christ? Are you holding fast to Him in the midst of your trials? Are you like Peter when Jesus taught some hard teachings and many of His followers turned away from Him and Jesus turned to Peter and asked Him if He wanted to leave also and Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. 
Peter says, where would we go? There's nowhere else to turn. There's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So let us cling to Christ. Let us fix our eyes upon Him, the author and perfecter of our faith, as we read in Hebrews. And finally, I want to talk about how the glory of Christ relates to our sanctification, which is the process of us becoming more like Christ, which in some sense, all that we've said so far is related. But a verse we didn't read this morning that I want to go back and look at is right before chapter 4. It's 2 Corinthians 3. I want to read verse 18. Where Paul says in chapter 3, verse 18, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So Paul addresses sanctification here. He says that we all are beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So Paul says that sanctification is the process in which we're being transformed into the image of Christ. And he says this is happening as we are beholding Christ. It is by looking to Christ that we become like Christ. It's a process of beholding. One of my favorite books is a book called Look and Live by an author and musician named Matt Papa. And in his book, he talks about, he, he connects all this, and he talks about how Moses, you know, fashioned the serpent in the wilderness so that when the Israelites were bitten by the fiery serpents, they could look at the bronze serpent statue and live. And then Jesus associated himself with that statue in John chapter 3 when he's talking to Nicodemus. And Jesus says to him, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. So Jesus makes this association. The people were to gaze upon the serpent, and they would live. People are to gaze upon Christ and be saved. And Paul says that we become like Christ by beholding His glory. And in that book I'm talking about, the author points out that this is not a glance. This is not a glance at Christ, it is a gazing upon Christ. It is a considering Him, a contemplating Him, a studying Him. It is looking intently at Christ. It means to pay attention to, to examine, to inspect. And so, this author says that, he points to this verse 18 in chapter 3, and he says that sanctification is really about staring. That sanctification is really about beholding. It's, it's more than just looking, but paying attention to examining, inspecting. And so this author says this. He says, The call is to behold the Son of God, not merely look at Him. It is to gaze deep into the Gospel, not merely pray some prayer and then move on. We must linger. Christianity, then, is the hard, joyful journey of beholding Jesus by faith until the day you behold Him by sight. I think that's a great description of the Christian faith. And this makes sense because if we're saved by looking to the glory of Christ, then it makes sense that we're also sanctified by looking to the glory of Christ. Why would we look to Christ in faith to be saved and then look away to other means to be sanctified? 
Just like we gaze upon him for salvation, we gaze upon him by faith to become like him. And so how do we become more like Christ? By, Paul says, beholding his glory. And the glory of Christ outshines all of the lesser glories around us. So we behold the glory of Christ for salvation. We behold the glory of Christ for sanctification. And if we love others, then we strive to help them also behold the glory of Christ for salvation. So, the gospel is really a message about the glory of Christ. It is about treasuring and valuing Christ above all else because he is the most glorious, because he is infinitely valuable. The gospel is about worshiping Jesus because he is worthy of worship. So, what is most valuable in your life? Is there something or someone or some good cause that you treasure more than Christ? Do you have a hard time letting go of the things of this world? Or is Jesus supremely valuable to you above all else? Are you holding fast to him? And my appeal to you today is that you would fix your eyes upon Jesus, behold his glory by faith, and trust him to transform you into the image, into the image of his son, into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another until the day that you behold him by sight. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this portion of 2 Corinthians that you inspired Paul to write to that congregation, but it is still so very relevant and important for us today. I thank you for this description of the gospel, that yes, the gospel is about us repenting of our sins and turning to Christ in faith, Yes, it is John 3.16. Yes, it is the cross. But it is also just simply a message about the gloriousness and glory of Christ. Lord, I, I thank you that, that those of us who know Christ, that you saw fit to open our eyes to see him as he is and behold his glory. I pray that you would open the eyes of others to see him and to put their faith in him, to treasure him. Help us, Lord, to treasure Christ above all else in this world. Help us to love Jesus Christ, with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Thank you for calling us out of darkness into your kingdom of light. Help us, Lord, to continually set our eyes upon him so that you might change us into his image from one degree of glory to another, I pray. And I ask all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.